Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Denny Long is back Sunday morning here on News Talk. K3OWCCO. Steve Thompson in. Pleased to be joined by Julie Wise and Horn again this morning. Julie, good to visit with you. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? I'm a little froggy today, so I'll try to speak up. <laughs> Uh, allergies uh, sneaking into the picture for you? They certainly are, like so yeah. many people. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now, we're, it looks like rain's going to move in. It's going to be relatively cool over the weekend, and we are going to see a major warm-up. Uh, dare I say, tomato weather coming up. I think so. We're getting into the 70s now and even 80s toward the end of the week, and that rain is really, really going to help a lot. Yeah, and probably a good time. We, we, we've talked about it a lot this spring, about people wanting to get into the garden, want to get those tomatoes started, those peppers started. This looks like a good week as we come up on Memorial Day, and now is probably the time to think about getting those plants in the garden. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe now. I think we could probably do some planting and uh, and get some of those warmer season crops out there. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. And of course, uh, the phone number on the program, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. And that's good for a call or a text on the program this morning. And we're going to start right out of the gate on the text line. We've, we've been getting this one fairly regularly about uh, fertilizing garlic. Number one, I didn't know garlic could grow in this part of the world. I think <laughs> of garlic and I think of California, but nevertheless, uh, what is a, a good fertilizer if you're trying to grow garlic? Well, as you know, Steve, we have an excellent page on our extension website about vegetables, and our vegetables have, uh, we have A to Z vegetables, so I'm looking at the garlic page here at my home and taking a look to see what it is that would be the best uh, fertilizer. And it grows very well in well-drained, moisture-retentive soils. And so that's really important that they're well-drained. These are bulbs. And so the garlic that we grow here requires a really well-drained soil. You don't want to put it in heavy clay. And you can improve your soil with organic matter. So that's just compost or well-rotted manure. And you can add that before you plant them in the fall or work it into the soil around your plants now. So that's probably, that's a pretty right. good uh, bet. It does have a moderate to high demand for nitrogen, so you'd want to uh, add that in. But it looks like just a simple 
uh, continuous use of like a 10-10-10 or a 15-30-15. Those are the three numbers, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, that are used for um, measuring the analysis of fertilizer. So you can look for a pretty general uh, uh, fertilizer uh, for vegetables. And, and, Julie, there seems to be a trend not, o- not only in the grocery store, but uh, e- even in the world of gardening. People want to use more organics, if you will. I- I- is, that, is that something you see and talk about a lot? We do talk about that a lot. And compost is a very easy thing to add. Uh, you can add too much compost. Uh, if you really overdo it, you get a kind of a soupy, uh, mucky soil. But adding in a little bit of compost, maybe an inch of compost uh, in your garden and working it into the soil is a good thing to do before you start to plant. All right. And, and compost, we talk that about a lot in, in landscapes. Uh, even if you're planting a new tree, um, uh, compost mulch, if you will, around plants, always a good thing. Compost is always a good thing to add. Um, you can buy compost that's already well composted, or you can make your own in a compost bin on your on your property and add in there dead leaves and cuttings and grass clippings and other things, vegetables and, and fruit scraps from your kitchen, eggshells. Uh, we have excellent information on the extension site about how to make a compost bin and how to manage your compost bin well. Yeah, and, and that is one of those things where once you get it going, it, it, that's something that just kind of keeps going on its own. It, 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 it's, its its own ecosystem, if you will. That's right, and you just need to be sure that you moisten it down periodically. If we go through a dry spell, uh, that you want to be sure that you moisten it with, uh, with your hose, and then turn it. You want to be able to turn it. Use a, use a, a garden fork. Uh, and turn that compost and uh, really mix it in, and that will help to break it down faster. It is uh, the Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is in today. Uh, the phone number is 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. Uh, from our text line, here's too much of a good thing. Uh, I think I over-fertilized uh, Mandevella. Uh, now the buds have hardened and turned brown at the base. Is there anything I can do to save this plant? Boy, that's a good question. Amandavia is a tropical plant. Uh, it uh, has trumpet-like flowers, and it is usually a big feeder. I think what I would try to do before giving up on it completely is to, uh, if, it's, if it's planted in a container, is to transplant it. Uh, sometimes that soil in a container gets pretty... Or uh, the plant has absorbed a lot of the, the nutrients in it, and, and mixing in a new, uh, putting it into some new fresh soil might help. And people are uh, doing a lot of planting in outdoor pots right now, uh, recycling the old uh, soil that maybe was uh, in that pot a year ago is a bad, bad idea. Fresh soil in those pots, correct? Well, it depends on the plant that you've grown in it and how old that soil is. Uh, for example, if you've grown just ornamental flowers, uh, chances are, you, and you can look at the soil, if it's gray and hard and kind of chunky um, and just doesn't look very rich, then you could try to bring it back by adding in some organic matter. But otherwise, just dump that in your compost bin and start with some new potting soil. 
if you have planted uh, ornamental flowers in it and you want to plant tomatoes in it and it still looks like good soil, that's okay. If you plant tomatoes in the same container year after year or potatoes or peppers, you're going to run into issues possibly with diseases that live in the soil and will transfer to the plants every year. So you want to rotate that soil. You don't want to plant tomatoes in the same pot year after year. All right, quick break. We'll have more on our Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is in. Here's the number, 651-989-9226. And that's good for a call or a text. When you call, you'll visit with Dennis Matuzak, our producer. Uh, when we come back, we'll go to Roger and Owatonna, Brent in, Me- in Medina, and we'll also go to the text line. We have a lot of those. Uh, we're, we're starting to see a lot of turf questions as well on the program today. Of course, our Smart Garden Show with Julie Wise and Horn today. And let's go to the phone lines right now and start with Roger and Owatonna. Roger, you're on the air with Julie. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, yes, I've got a question I, about some white cedar trees that I moved. I'm not sure why. I think I'm trying to kill them now. But uh, I moved them a year ago <laughs> in April. <laughs> I moved them a year ago in April. They were about uh, 8 or 10 feet tall. And uh they they looked good all summer long, but I had mistakenly put some fertilizer on with nitrogen in, and I think I burned some roots because in the fall, they started to get a little bit brown. It wasn't terribly alarming because it was mostly in the inner parts of the branches, but this spring now, they're quite brown. The bigger ones seem to be really quite brown, and I'm afraid I'm going to have lost them. The smaller ones are still barely hanging in there. They have some branches that are brown all the way to the end, but some of them have some new growth on and so on. Now, I put some acid on the tree a few weeks ago, and that seemed to make it a little brittle, and I put acid on the ground since. Uh, is there anything, maybe that's a second mistake I might have made, I don't know, but what <laughs> would you recommend I try to do to save these uh, 10-foot tall white cedars that are in jeopardy, uh, to say the least? So when you when you put in the nitrogen, did you also uh, did you water the plants through the summer? Uh, yes, but last su- yes, but last summer was uh, very wet. You know, I didn't have to water right. a lot of times because it was. But yes, I did. Okay, and did you put the nitrogen in when you planted them, or did you put it in later in the year? Oh, it was probably only uh, 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 three weeks behind that or something. I'd fertilized other trees too around the place. So, and it was a 10, that was 10, in the, 10 in the that spring. Okay, and that was uh, yeah, in the it was spring. Probably mid-May. It was probably mid-May okay. to Memorial Day or something. Right, right. I think probably uh, it sounds to me that the plants were they did fine through the summer because they had a lot of rain, and um, and then it, it may have been that they got drier in the winter, and possibly you burned a little bit of that. But um, usually, I mean, those are pretty good pretty stout trees um my, when i see uh the white cedar that are dry and brown usually it, it means that they've probably uh had some root stress and for whatever reason whether maybe they were uh uh maybe it was a fertilizer but it might have also been some drought issues too uh it could have been the soil that they were in also that it was too compacted and and they couldn't quite grow very well uh, it's really hard to say. I think um, in this case, you might want to actually see about having an arborist come out and take a look at them because that's that's quite an investment to have that many plants. 
So maybe contact an arborist to take a look at them or bring some pictures into a garden center and ask them what they think. It, to me, it sounds like somehow those plants, maybe from the fertilizer that they dried out, and, uh, and then you started to see that browning. Let's go to the phones again here in our Smart Garden Show. Brent Medina. Uh, Brent, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning. Happy Saturday to the two of you. Hope you're doing well. Thank yes. you. Thanks, Brent. Thanks. Uh, question about grass seeding. Um, uh, put the black dirt down, mix the seed in. Should I compact the dirt? Should I, you know, um, leave it loose? What's the best way to do that? Uh, you want to rake up your lawn and make sure that you're you're uh, getting any kind of dead grass out of the out of your lawn right now from the past year, and then go ahead and just sprinkle that sprinkle that uh, soil seed mixture onto your lawn, and then rake it in again, kind of lightly rake it in. You want to get seed to soil t- uh, contact as much as possible, and then water. Be sure to water. But we're going to get some rain, so it's a good day to do it. What about covering that up if you're seeding a new lawn and you're putting down uh, black dirt, topsoil, et cetera, and you're, you're, you're putting the seed on that, uh, putting some sort of straw or mat over it like they sell at, at the stores to, to cover or protect that seeded area, mostly from the birds, I would guess. Yeah, it, it depends. If you're seeding into an existing lawn, you wouldn't want to cover that up. But if you are uh, seeding into a bare area, maybe an area that you've taken out a tree or you've uh, had really thin soil or thin turf for a long time, then you would want to cover that up. But if you're just doing your lawn and top dressing your lawn, then then I wouldn't cover it with anything. 825 here on a Saturday morning on the Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is joining us. Uh, speaking of turf, a uh, couple of things we can follow up there. Uh, is now a good time to put down crabgrass preventer, or is it too late? No, we're getting to the end of that time. Uh, and uh, if you look at it, we have this great uh, uh, tool called the Minnesota Lawn Calendar, and it's on our extension site, extension.umn.edu, and it is under our lawn care section. And, uh, and in that, you can see that crabgrass control can be put down mid-April through mid-May. So we're kind of coming up to the end of that timing. This would be a good time to do it because the rain will water it in. And uh, and you want to get it on, on the lawn before the crabgrass starts to grow. Post-emergent treatment would be mid-May through early July. So if for some reason you start to see crabgrass coming up, then you want to be treating it or digging it out. All right. So there you go. Or we're coming up on the end of the time to uh, deal with that right. crabgrass. Don in Burnsville, you're on the air with Julie here on the Smart Garden Show. Hello. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Uh, last week we heard the comments, I think, on your show about uh, in-ground sprinkler systems um, and the frequency of, you know, long soaking versus uh you know, that kind of thing. Right. So yep. We have a two-part question. Our, our in-ground sprinkler system has eight stations. We're curious how long we should run each station to get the good soaking, and then how frequently. That is a question for an irrigation uh, professional, uh, because I can't be looking at your lawn at this point. Um, what I would suggest is calling somebody in to help you set that up. 
Um, it really will depend on the type of soil, and soil can be different around a single property. You can have really great soil in one area, and you might have compacted soil in another, and those will affect how much, you know, how much water you can apply. Um, it also depends on the kinds of plants that you're growing, if you're watering lawn or if you're watering a garden space or trees. And so this is, that's, those are two really good questions, and that is a perfect uh, application for a professional to come in and help you. Okay. Uh, Julie, Julie is there okay. – uh, all right, Don, thanks thanks for the call. Julie, is, is there kind of a guideline on how much typical turf grass lawn needs? Is it I, – I, I've always heard that number, an inch a week. If your lawn gets an inch of rain or, or water a week, that should be good enough. Well, that's, that's been the kind of rule of thumb, but what we found is that our grasses are more drought tolerant than, uh, than we've thought in the past. And part of that is how you care for the lawn. So you want to mow, you want to set your mower at three inches to three and a half inches and, and not cut off more than one third of your lawn at a time. So that means you should let your grass grow to about four and a half inches tall and then cut cut down to three inches. And what that does is it preserves more of the grass blade, which uh, provides more photosynthetic material. It also keeps the crowns of the plants cool, even though they're very tiny blades, they still do their job. And that helps our lawns to, to last better through drier conditions, like in July when the heat turns up. The other thing too is there's, a, uh, there's research that shows a, a good that, that there's a shoot to root ratio. In other words, the longer the shoot, which is the grass part, the blade, the longer the roots. And by watering deeply and infrequently, you're forcing those roots to grow deeper down uh, to find water. And uh, and that shoot, that longer shoot, helps to provide the energy for those roots to do that. If you water just a little bit, a little shallow watering on your lawn. The roots are going to stay up near the top of the soil, and when we get to that hot, those hot conditions, that's when we get burnout on our roots. Quick break. We have more on the Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is in today. Here's the number if you want to call or text 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. We'll go to Ruth Ann first. We'll go to the text line as well when we come back. Smart Gardens, Saturdays between 8 and 9 a.m. Julie Weisenhorn in, and of course, uh, the website, extension.umn.edu. And Ruth Ann's been waiting for a while. We go to St. James. Ruth Ann, you're on the air. Hello. For Easter, I received a planter with uh, hyacinth, daffodil, tulip, and jonquil bulbs. Each grew and bloomed beautifully. And I'm wondering, is it possible to save the bulbs, and how would I care for them? Oh, Ruthann, that is a good question, and we get that every year uh, from people. They are bulbs that have been forced, and forcing means that the grower has uh, subjected those bulbs to a cold treatment to simulate winter. And by doing that, it has forced the plant to put all its energy into blooming for you in that beautiful bulb garden. The problem is, is that very rarely do we see these bulbs rebloom. 
they will continue to grow and they could put out leaves if you planted them in your garden. But unfortunately, the chances of them blooming is very slim. So you can try it. No problem there. Uh, but don't expect it at least for a few years till that bulb can really build up some serious energy in, in itself. Thank you. All right. Very good, Ruth Ann. Uh, Julie, we, we had something from the text line we could follow up. Speaking of bulbs, are, do you know, are the tulips at the Arboretum replanted every year, or are, are those, those bulbs that have uh, come back year after year? Those bulbs are removed after they have bloomed, when they're finished blooming, and they are usually given to the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who have helped to plant them, or they're given to uh, uh, people who work at the Arboretum, um, and then they are that area is replanted with summer annuals. And uh, so the bulbs, we can't keep the bulbs there because we won't be able to plant anything else in that beautiful annual garden. So that's, that's the process that they use, and that's a common process in uh, public gardens throughout the United States. Now, a number of years ago, I planted some tulip bulbs in a spot, and they, they come up like clockwork every year. How nice. long will they last? I mean, when, when, when eventually will those tulips just die out and not come back? Well, that's a good question. Sometimes they get eaten by animals because they are a delicious treat for squirrels. Um, but I think that uh, uh, as long as you keep them watered and maybe fertilize them every year, Steve, uh, cut back the seed heads after the flowers drop, the petals drop, and uh, be sure to leave the leaves open and uh, you know don't, don't cut the leaves back because that's the photosynthetic material. That's what will produce all that energy to put it back into the bulb, and they could keep growing for quite a number of years, but I don't know exactly how long. Yeah, so it's it's been a few years now, and they're they're going strong. And uh, like I say, just about all the petals have fallen off. So just right. About so done you want to the deadhead them now? You want to take off those stems before they try to set seed? Uh, here, here's one from our text line. We'll go to the phones in a moment. Ron and Bobby are waiting. We'll go there in a moment. The city of Falcon Heights. Uh, home of the fairgrounds, recently passed a resolution to only allow native plants in front yard landscapes, but we'd like to grow some vegetables in our front yard. Um, what what vegetables are native, and how do we navigate this? Well, we don't have very many native vegetables. Um, you could try some fruit, like some raspberries. Raspberries are... Uh, I believe are native in Minnesota, but that's a, tif- a different kind. Um, I think you have to go to the city and you have to talk to them about that. Maybe you can grow them in containers. Uh, that's always a good thing with vegetables anyway. You just have to be sure you water them regularly. But uh, then you're not actually planting in the ground. Uh, I have not heard of this ordinance, and I, and I work on the St. Paul campus, so I'm curious about it. But uh, I would talk to the city I would see if you could put some planters in your front yard. I can't imagine they would uh, be upset about that. And uh, and I would ask them also about uh, cultivars of native plants because we have a lot of good cultivars that were bred from native plants. Uh, for example, many different kinds of little blue stem cultivars that are excellent plants and look really, really nice. 
Um, so I would talk to them about that. But it seems to me you have to go back to the city and just ask them to qualify that a little bit more. Anna, follow up on natives, and there's more and more interest on using that landscapes, uh, benefiting uh, pollinators, etc. And of course, uh, the website is is a great resource for people to understand what what are native and and what would fit into their landscape. Yes, we have a lot of good lists of plants, uh, native plants, native grasses. We also have good lists of plants for pollinator gardens, which are. I think even more important than native plants. The two go together, indeed. Um, but I really think looking for plants that are good for pollinators will lead you to good quality native plants, as well as these native cultivars uh, that will benefit cult- that will benefit these important insects. All right, let's go to the phone lines here on our Smart Garden Show. Julie Wise and Horn is in today. Let's bring in Ron in Minneapolis. Ron, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Uh, I've got some cotoneasters that have been in, I've, they've been in the ground for about, this is the third season. And the rabbits, and they're about four feet, a little over four feet tall. The rabbits got after the lower branches. Um, and so now they're, they are sprouting down there, but, uh, the tops are pretty thick. So I was wondering if now and maybe just a few times during the season, if I can trim maybe one of the three branches that are coming up, and that'll help promote the growth down below. It's okay to, so is it okay to trim those off? Yeah, I think it would be good. Cotoneaster actually responds quite well to uh, trimming because it's a hedge plant. And so I think you could do that. One thing that I always do before I trim a shrub is I'll just hold the branch that I'm thinking about pruning off, and I'll pull it away from the you know, just a little bit away from the shrub and then look at the shrub to see if that's going to change the form a lot or if it's going to increase light to the bottom of the plant. Um, and that sometimes gives me kind of a, makes, helps me make my decision about pruning that off. Those branches rabbits ate will likely not, uh, will likely have issues. They'll have some dieback possibly because those rabbits have girdled those stems. They've eaten the growing tissue around the outside of that stem. So possibly you'll be pruning those off anyway because they may not produce very well. Um, sometimes it depends on how much they've girdled them. But I think that um, I, I would I would consider pruning those off. Uh, just take a look at how it's going to look and affect the rest of the plant. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226 is our phone number on the program. Let's go to Daniel in Clear Lake. You're on the air with Julie. Good morning. Oh, Daniel, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. You're on the air. Hi. Um, so I have two questions. One is about my lawn and one is about some trees. So the lawn question is, I have um, gotten my soil tested, and I have fertilized according to uh, the organization that did the testing, and um, I'm wondering when I can plant seeds, like when I can put seeds down for grass. Um, The issue is is that I have about three feet of dirt because all the grass has died around the edge of my property. Okay, so uh, you can set seed down now. You, uh, if you did any kind of a uh, 
pre-emergent for crabgrass, then you will not be able to seed in those areas. It's the only no, condition. I haven't done that. Yeah, that okay. I haven't done. That I haven't yeah, done. so you can go ahead and rough up that soil that's open, that bare soil, mm-hmm. and then mix in the seed with some good topsoil and then put it down. Keep it watered. That's the most important thing. Okay. And then for trees, I have probably six trees that have ash borer. Okay, and that's too bad. Yeah, I, I'm just sad about it because it's coming down my driveway right. and I really hate to cut that, but I know I need to, but how do I, what do I do with that wood so I don't continue to get the ash borer? Well, the uh, the Minnesota Department of Ag has a really good website about emerald ash borer and decisions you make and also how to deal with the wood. At that point, okay. so I, I would go to their website and take a look at that. You can also contact them if you have additional questions specifically about your trees. Okay, and what was that website again? The Minnesota Department of Agriculture, MDA. Okay. Okay, thank you. All You're all welcome. All right. Uh, Danielle, I'm about I'm, those trees. Yeah, and emerald ash borer, that's something we haven't talked about a ton this spring. It's here to stay, though. I mean, we, we do know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what the experts have said, that it's basically here. And uh, and there's a decision-making tool that the Minnesota Department of Agriculture has put together along with the University of Minnesota that helps a homeowner decide, do I keep the tree and treat it uh, for emerald ash borer? Uh, what kinds of decision-making do I have to, you know, what do I have to think about when it comes to keeping the tree, the cost of treatment, how important the tree is, how mature the tree is? Uh, and then, or do I remove the tree and plant with something else? So that tool is really handy and helpful for homeowners because it's a mature tree is really valuable in a landscape, and you don't want to cut it down if you if there's other options. So uh, Daniil, could you could take a look at that? Think about that. Uh, boy, six trees. Though I think you said you had six ash trees. That's a lot of money to treat those trees every year. Um, but the MDA might be able to help out. And also, I encourage anybody with, with mature tree questions is to contact a certified arborist. We have excellent tree care professionals in Minnesota. And the uh, International Society of Arboriculture, the ISA, has uh, a great tool for finding a certified arborist. And on our webpage, under our trees and shrubs section, we also have a tool for how to hire a certified arborist, a tree professional. So you can take a look at that, start with our webpage, and that will take you then to the ISA page and how to find an arborist in your area. Some cities also have certified arborists on staff who can come out and take a look at your trees. Quick break. We have more with Julie on our Smart Garden Show. And by the way, the website, extension.umn.edu, extension.umn.edu. Edu. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, we'll go to Randy and Brookings. We have a uh, number of texts to get to, and we'll try and buzz through as many of those as we can in a moment here on the Smart Garden Show on News Talk, 830-WCCO. It is our Smart Garden Show here on a Saturday morning on News Talk, 830-WCCO. Julie Wise and a horn is in, and let's go to the phones. Randy and Brookings here on the air. Hello. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I planted hydrenias like two and a half weeks ago, and they recently started to wilt 
really, really bad, lost all the flowers, uh, and they're looking pretty rough. One, I'm wondering how do I know if they're dead or if they're going to come back, and two, how should I properly care for them in the first place? Wow, I am sorry to hear that. Hydrangeas <laughs> are a great plant. Um, when you plant, after you, after you planted them, did you water them regularly? I did right away, and then we had a pretty good shot of rain, like an inch or two of rain, uh, probably three, four days after that. And since probably like the last week, I really haven't watered them all that much. Okay. I think what I would do is I would dig up one of the plants, and I would take a look at your the root and the, and the type of soil, the hole that the hole that the hydrangeas are planted in one of the things that might have happened is if you planted them in heavy clay soil or in a, a dense soil without a lot of drainage you might have actually formed almost like a a bowl that the plant sat in. you had a lot sounds like you watered them enough and you had a lot of rain uh, but if it was in a clay soil uh, those plants would have kind of sat in a bowl of water uh, and that might have uh that might have caused the issue with the with the, uh, the wilting. If that's the case, uh, you would dig them all up and uh, and take a look at the roots. Uh, if they're still flexible, if they're still uh, if they're not all black and mushy, um, then set the plants aside and and modify that soil with composting and uh, and and to break it up and make a really nice uh, garden bed for that for those plants and then plant them again. But make sure that you're planting them in big enough holes as well. Uh, wider is better than deeper and uh, give them lots of space to grow and hopefully they'll come back. Okay, very good. Uh, let's, let's try and hit a couple of texts before we run out of time. Just a couple of minutes to go. Uh, just planted tomatoes in pots. It looks like uh, we're still going to see some lows in the 40s before we get this warm-up this week. Should I be concerned, or are the tomatoes going to be okay? Well, it's it's still, yeah, we're still going to get some evening temperatures. If the pots aren't too big and you could drag them into your garage for the night, that would probably be the safest thing to do. You could also try covering them with a sheet. Uh, I wouldn't use plastic, but use just an old sheet or an old cloth or something uh, to keep any kind of uh, coolness, to kind of make a little covering over them to protect them. It is kind of early to even be, you know, we could put out our tomatoes probably after this, we get into this warmer weather coming up. But these next couple days, yeah, we'll still see a few cool nights. But if you can put them in a garage or a, mud room or drag them into your house for the night that works too all right julie we're just about out of time we have got to run uh the website extension.umn.edu uh, so much great information there have a wonderful day thanks a lot steve all right julie wise and horn joining us uh, one of the experts uh, from uh, the University of Minnesota Extension, and that website again, extension.umn.edu. And, of course, we'll be back next Saturday morning here on Smart Gardens. We're on the air each and every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.